Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Elder Girls podcast this week. We are so excited to have each one of you here. This week, we are interviewing our family. Well, we're kind of interviewing. We're really just having a conversation with our family. And this is our nieces and nephews and all of our family members, their spouses who are are still our nieces and nephews. And we're excited to have them um, join us tonight for this conversation. The subject matter this week is... um, does honesty and integrity evolve from generation to generation or should honesty and integrity evolve from generation to generation? And if so, why, if not, why not? And so we're going to dig in here. I'm going to turn this over to Sarah and she's going to make some introductions tonight. Good evening, everybody. So glad that we have you all here to listen and I'm going to begin introducing. I'm going to try to go from our oldest nephews and nieces down to the youngest, if that's possible. So we'll start off, I'll introduce, first of all, we are glad that Kyle and his wife, Alicia, and their baby, Gianna, our newest member of our family, is present with us tonight. Hi, Kyle and Alicia. How are you all tonight? Doing good, doing good. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so excited. We get to see baby Gianna poke her little face up in here sometime. (laughs) And then we'll move down next. Let's see here. It would be um, Victoria is next. She is my sister Marsha's second child. She's younger than Kyle and her spouse, Seen. And so we want to welcome Victoria and Seen with their two children, Abriella and Nathaniel. Good evening. Thank you for having us. Is seen there too, Tori? He um he ran off to go grab some um milk for from the store for Nathaniel. So he okay. might be coming back here in a minute. All right. Well, we'll still get to hear from him hopefully. And then we'll go to our next uh one that is our nephew, and that would be Mitchell, Mitchell Elder, which is my brother Paul's second son. And mm-hmm. He is here, and I don't see Jesse, but we'll go ahead and mention her. Jesse is his wife, and we're so glad Mitchell gets to be with us. Hi, Mitchell. How are you tonight? Hi, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. We're glad you're here. Thanks for coming on and being with us. And then yes, we'll ma'am. go to Melody. Melody is my brother's youngest. She is just out of high school, I think two years, Melody. Is that right? Or maybe three? Three years out of high school, three years. Wow, time goes way too fast. We're glad you're here tonight, Melody. How are you? Doing great. I'm so excited Awesome to be on tonight. Welcome, welcome. And Marisa lives in Hutchinson, and she calls me Auntie Sarah, and all her kids call me Auntie Sarah. So we've just adopted her to be our niece. Welcome, Marisa. We're so glad you're here tonight. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. And then last but not least, I'm going to let Anna introduce Antonia since we're having a little bit of feedback and Anna can explain a little bit more about Antonia. All right. Well, we're so excited to have Antonia with us tonight. Antonia is the daughter of Sarah and Joe, and she is the youngest of all the nieces and the nephews. Before we start the great nieces and nephews, we have a whole nother crew coming up that someday we'll hopefully get to talk to as well. But Antonia is the caboose, 
of this group of nieces and nephews, and we're so excited that she's with us tonight. Thanks, y'all. It's good to be here. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and get started on the conversation for tonight, and um, we're excited to dig into this and just see where it goes. So join us for this journey, and we hope y'all enjoy the ride. So starting off with the thought of integrity, Sarah, do you want to give us a definition of integrity? You're the definition queen. And so I know, I know without a doubt, you have the definition of integrity ready. <laughs> yes, I do. My trusty dictionary was my helper today. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to our friend, dear Merriam-Webster. And I looked up the word integrity and the word integrity from Merriam-Webster said, a firm adherence to a code of especially moral or artistic values, incorruptibility. And I thought that was pretty cool when I looked that up because I looked up the word adherence and it actually means act to act or an action of artistic values or a code of especially moral values. And so um, integrity also is part of being incorruptible, which was really cool to me because when I looked that up, I thought, wow, there's all kinds of scriptures, scriptures that tie in with that. And of course, we base everything off of the word of God because we are God's children and we live our lives according to the word of God. And so that was one. And there's all kinds of scriptures. I'm not going to read them, but I am going to just quickly give you um, a scripture reference to look up later to go with that incorruptibility first peter 1 23 that's an awesome one to look up the second uh dictionary explanation for integrity was an unimpaired condition or soundness which was really cool because that really tied in with the scripture of having a sound mind of being in sound doctrine so having integrity means that you will not only um, be incorruptible or aiming for incorruptible actively, but you will have a sound mind and you will be in sound doctrine. Those scriptures that I pulled from that was 2 Timothy 1 and 7, 2 Timothy 4 and 3, Titus 2 and 1. And then the third was the quality or state of being complete or undivided, which I thought was phenomenal because in our world, in the church, we have to have completeness and no division for us to have the revival that God wants us to have. So I thought that was really cool. And the scripture that I came up for that was Colossians 2, the whole chapter, fabulous. But really in verses 6, 8, 9, and 10 was phenomenal about being complete in Christ. So that is what I came up with for the explanations for integrity. And I think that we need to shoot off from there, Anna. Okay, awesome. So let's take a minute and talk about integrity first, and then we'll dig into honesty as well, because that's part of the conversation tonight. So let's talk about, um, Sarah gave us her definition, well, actually Merriam-Webster's definition of what integrity is. Let's just start going around in this group to each one, and let's get a take on what your interpretation and your perception of integrity is. Mitchell, how about we go over to you? <laughs> When I think of the word integrity, and I, <laughs> I'm kind of going to cheat here a little bit because my dad actually talks quite a bit about the word integrity. But when I think of the word integrity, I think of the root word, which is the word integer. And when you begin to break this down, it actually comes down 
to a whole number. And so when I think of the word integrity, I think of someone who is whole or someone who is complete. That's fantastic. Awesome. Kyle, what do you think of when you think of the word integrity? Well, I kind of agree with Mitchell on that. Um, I think when I was looking into it, one of the things that stood out about it is it's the state of being whole or undivided. And a lot of times um, just kind of the idea of division in your thoughts, it immediately brought to my mind, James uh, talked about it in the first chapter, uh, verse eight, where he said a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And you see a lot of people that they struggle with integrity and honesty um, because they aren't sure of their stand or their belief system. And um, I think that that state of being whole and being undivided is something that's important for us as, you know, children of God and Christians to remember, because the more that we encourage unity and we discourage division and things that would cause division, the more likely we are to be seen as people of integrity. So just a few thoughts I, I, I wrote down about that. I love that. And I think that's really important, Kyle. There's something you said that when we're looking at being a people that is whole and helping people and working through some of the things that we're working through nowadays, that when people see us as people of integrity, you didn't say it exactly like this, but you, you implied there's a trust that goes along with that. And I think we'll dig into that a little deeper here, but integrity is key to trust, right? And so I think we can dig into that a little bit more here. Marisa, you want to come back on now? Yes, yes, ma'am. I awesome. think it, what you are when no one else is watching you, and I, I think it is what Jesus sees us as. Fantastic. Um, how Jesus sees me. Yes. I love that. Um, yeah, what you are when no one else is watching you. That's pretty powerful when you think about that. Antonia, what are your thoughts on integrity? Um, well, I like, I really like the definition of living to a set of morals because as Christians, more so as apostolics, our morals are the Bible. And I also like, and Job chapter, I think it's two verse three, God says that Job hadn't lost his integrity and he follows that up with, he feared God and he eschewed evil. So I think integrity can take, take on a, even another meaning and that you fear God and you hate evil. Wow. That's powerful. Sarah, what are your thoughts? Well, I think I've heard, uh, for me, integrity is definitely in agreement with what Marisa said. It's who we are when nobody's around. It's just us, maybe in a home, maybe in a store, in our car, wherever we go, we have to be so complete and so whole in what we believe as far as our morals, our standards, um, no matter what we've been taught, I think that integrity is going even deeper than that and really digging deep into what God has put inside of us so strongly that we cannot be swayed to the left or to the right. Tori, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think integrity is, you know, the virtuous characteristics of somebody. I think integrity is you hear about a man, a righteous man that walketh upright. And I think of when I think of someone of integrity, I think of someone who is a pure person, but also an influential person. Um, 
I mean, I mean, it doesn't have to be an influential person, but um, you don't have to be in the highest seat of power to be influential. You know, right. you could have an integrity as, as a janitor that someone sees that does something every day that, you know, as a child, I remember watching this um, janitor at my school and I would just watch how she would look at people that were, you know, maybe sitting by themselves or whatever. And I thought this woman has a beautiful character because she would go up and talk to them or, you know, it's just a value of someone's character is what I'm getting at. Yeah, I like that. I agree with that. Melody, what are your thoughts on integrity? Um, as Mitchell stated, my dad talks about integrity a lot. So <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts about integrity. Um, the first thing I think, the first thing that I think of is the root word integer, which means whole or complete. And I think of the number one. I think of how God is one. And the next thing today that I thought about was how he created us female and male in his image in Genesis 1:27. We see that. And I think it's incredible how as female and male, when we do not blur or pervert or twist those lines, we create we are the image of God. And when we take on the identity, you know, through repentance, um receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, baptism in Jesus' name. And as men and women who are saved, we make up the church. We have the mind of Christ. We pray the mind of the living, the one whole living God. We live heaven on earth because we pray heaven on earth. We, the church, are the hands and the feet of Jesus because we know the perfect, the complete, one true love of Jesus. We have experienced that, and we are the ones who are able to exemplify that. And we we are the ones who are able to be examples of true integrity, which is really Jesus and the mind of Jesus and the love of Jesus. Another thing that I think about when I hear the word integrity is how different woods have different levels of integrity. And um, me and a friend were talking about this today. She's actually making a table for her house and she chose a specific kind of wood because it's sturdy and it's she's she's able to trust that that wood is is going to do and fulfill its purpose um, that it's purposed of existing, you know, the wood is not necessarily going to carry out an action, but she can trust that the wood, um, is unchangeable and is trustworthy. And, um, those are some of my thoughts when I think about integrity. I think that's fantastic. I've heard some really good thoughts on integrity here. So let me re- walk through some of the things that have been said. Integrity is based off of the word of integer. Is it integer or integer? I'm not sure if I'm saying it right. Let me know if I'm wrong. Um, but it's based off of the root word of integer and it means whole. 
So that's one thing. Mitchell brought that to the table. Kyle brought to the table, he talked about how it's how you gain influence and it's how you build trust by bringing all of the parts of who we are together. Marisa talked about it being who you are when nobody is around and a reflection of Jesus. Antonia related it to Job and how he feared God and eschewed evil and God recognized that he had not lost his integrity. And Tori brought it to a whole nother level with what she brought to the table as well tonight. And Auntie Sarah brought her component in, gave us the honest definition, and then Melody brought it to the book of Acts. So this has been really interesting so far because we've hit like integrity almost from Genesis to Acts at this point. <laughs> Yeah. If you think about it, and Sarah, you've added some pieces in from the uh, the New Testament, even. You've talked to us about 1 Peter one twenty three and Titus 2 and 1, and we're already building some of the scripture into here. From my perspective on integrity as well, I would agree with all of that. I think everyone has spoken a little bit to each of my pieces from integrity, not that I'm just trying to suck from everybody and not have to give my own thoughts in this, but you covered so many bases of this. Um like integrity is definitely who we are when nobody's watching us it is a character trait and it is a principle so when we look at it as a character trait and we look at it as a principle we know that uh, many principles from a biblical worldview are defined from our experience of prayer our relationship with god digging into God's word. We, we talk about biblical principles, but character traits. Let's talk about integrity as a character trait for a moment. Do you think that people are innately born with integrity, that it is in our DNA? Or do you think that uh, integrity is something that is developed over time? Let's walk through that for a minute. Tori, start us out on this one. On their, on their characteristics, you said? Integrity as a character trait. Do you think that somebody is born with integrity, that it's a part of their DNA? Or do you think that integrity is derived from a principle and is developed over time? Well, I think that all, like the Bible says, that all men come from their mother's womb into sin. So I don't think anybody is born with integrity. I think integrity is something that is built um, from being taught. The Bible says train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're older, they won't depart from it. And, you know, I think as we grow as people, we, um, we see things that are added to our character and we see people that we want to be and people that we don't want to be like and um I think integrity really is about truthfulness how much we see somebody that are attracts you know attracts us to them and the pureness of how they walk um but I don't think integrity is something anyone is just except Christ was born with. Christ was definitely the only one I think that was born with integrity. I think um, I think that I would agree with many things that you said there, Victoria. 
Uh, Kyle, tell us what your thoughts are on that. Um, mine comes from a couple different places, actually. Um, so I think the first place that I would start is the idea of you are kind of a summation of your parts. So as opposed to integrity being, you know, a trait of your character, I think that all your character traits are comprised to define your integrity. All the things that you are combined are what reflects your integrity. And as a segue from that, when we're born, we're each raised and what we're taught and what we learn and what we're influenced by and exposed to really define our perception of reality. And as I begin to think through kind of in this, uh, I guess, thought science where I begin to walk through step by step, I begin to see how your perception of reality can really define your ethics and can define what you consider ethical or moral and what certain groups might find ethical or moral, other groups might not. Um, and you know what certain groups might find necessary, other groups might not. Just depending on what you were exposed to, you know, either from your parents or from influences in your life, people that taught you or raised you. Um, and that played the idea of, I think more and more recently, there's been a lot of things going on that define a lot of people's perceptions and they identify with, and they allow that to actually generate a perception of their ethics and their morality. And what we have to be careful to do is not to allow our surroundings and our perception of what reality is, even though it might be accurate to always define us without checking it against the word of God. Um, and I think one of the keys to that is with everything that we do as Christians, we might hear things in the world or around us, and it's not bad to have conflicting voices. It's not bad to have people that bring ideas to the table to question your ethics or your morality, because, um, and I, I teach a, a teen class, and one of the things I tell them is it does one of two things that challenges you either to grow in your ethics and your morality or it affirms your ideologies in what you believe in your ethics and your morality, meaning that you take it to the word of God. And when you compare and contrast what's being told to you, does it align with the word of God? Does it align with the things the word of God teaches about morality and about the way you should behave? And if it does, and you aren't portraying those ideologies, you need to shift your perception to align with what reality should be for you. And then the other side of that is if they're bringing a totally new idea that doesn't fit into that category, you need to make sure that you are creating a sure place in your heart where you recognize this is what the word of God teaches. And it doesn't matter if it's unpopular or it's not part of their reality or the perception of the way things should be. My ethics are going to keep me true to this promise or true to this value that God has taught me. I think that generates a good conversation because in education, it is important. I think that one thing we're a little scared of, and we can't be, is that when we're becoming educated, that we hear something that dissents against our faith, right? And so sometimes when we're in the church, we feel challenged by that, and we feel a little unsure about that, and that puts caution signs up, and it should. It should put caution flags up, but we shouldn't fear it. It shouldn't be a scary thing to hear something that dissents against our worldview and our faith, 
it should be something that challenges us to dig deeper. And I think that's very important as we walk this journey that we're walking through. So some people might say, well, Sister Ballinger, are you completely against secular education? Because when you open up the world of secular education, you're going to immediately hear dissenting voices, right? Can we all agree to that in secular education? You're going to hear dissenting voices. Your faith is going to be tried. That is a given, 100% given in secular education. But we don't see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego sticking their head in a hole in the ground when they were in Babylon and all this stuff was around them that dissented against their worldview, right? Right. They had to know what their belief system was and get a relationship with God that cemented their, their, their worldview and their value system. And so how do we walk through that journey? Mitchell, I'm going to direct this to you. So how do we walk through that journey? And Kyle, you've given a great description of this, of walking through walking young people through this journey journey of hearing these voices and listening to these things, but making sure that they filter it through the word of God. How do we make sure we have a balance in our life? And that and Mitch, this is where I'm gonna I'm gonna address you on this because as we're walking through that journey, we have to make sure that even though we have voices that are speaking that are dissenting against what we know and what they're bringing these whole new ideas and ideologies to our attention that we're still balanced with hearing, you know, what the preacher's preaching and sitting the word of God, but how can we be accountable for how we're filtering that? Well, I think the, the first way is you might, you have to have a foundation and the only way you're going to have a foundation, especially in today's world, as America drifts further and further away from what, it was built on, which is biblical principles, you're beginning to run into all all manner of doctrines, of ideas, both biblically, secularly, um, all the different Eastern religions that we see now in the United States, very prevalent. I think the first thing you have to do is you have to have a prayer life. If you're not praying, then, you know, the the first time your your faith is really questioned, you're going to fall especially if someone can bring a question that you can't immediately answer with, well, my pastor says this, because eventually, especially if you get into the world of secular education, you're going to run into questions that your pastor hasn't answered over the pulpit. And you're going to have to pick up the word of God and you're going to have to go find a quiet place and get out on your knees and ask God, okay, where is this in your word? And if you're willing to do that, God's willing to show you. But I think the first way we have to navigate is and i know we hear this a lot but we have to navigate on our knees um it and it's becoming more and more prevalent in today's world where i think if we're not careful we let our pride get in the way and we're afraid of looking at somebody and initially saying you know what i don't know let me get back to you on that you know because we're we're christians and we're you know especially like for me well you're the pastor's son wait well yeah but I don't know everything. None of us know everything. Right. We have to be willing to swallow our pride and to get down on our knees and say, okay, God, this is what these voices are saying. Do I need to realign my perception to what they're saying? Or do I need to stand in defense of what I'm seeing 
because this is truth. And if I have to stand and fight, how do I stand and fight? You know, it gets really easy to pull out a sword, but uh, am I really helping or am I just damaging? I think the only way that we, and especially in today's world, and as the world progresses, I think the only way that we can navigate through these waters is to do it with much prayer and fasting. And the other thing is you got to read the word of God. We can't live on mom and dad's or our grandma and grandpa, or you can't live on their knowledge of the word of God. You can't live on their perception of truth. What they, you know, grew up in the revelations that they received from God somewhere, some point in time, you have to receive revelations from God. That's the only way that we'll make it through this time. And on top of that, that's the only way like in, scripture that comes to mind is when Paul wrote to Timothy and he talked about preaching and he said, if you'll preach truth, you'll save both, both yourselves and them that hear you. That's so, good. so I think it has to be done with a very delicate balance between prayer, fasting, reading the word of God. And the other thing is we can't be afraid of questions. We can't, you know, I know I've gone here for a long time, so I'm going to finish this and, and then be quiet and let somebody else talk. No, but we can't ahead. be afraid of the questions. You know, so many times we somebody questions your perception or somebody cu- questions your worldview, your belief, and your immediate response is to throw up defensive walls and, and cut them off. And you don't hear them all the way out. You know, even if you're polite, what they're saying is going in one ear and out the other. Well, First of all, there's no way you're going to reach that individual with the truth if you don't genuinely love them and take the time to see their what they're seeing. And then if what they're seeing is right and it lines up with scripture, change your worldview. But if what they're saying isn't right and it isn't lining up with scripture, then it's our job as the church to say, no, let me show you what scripture says. Well, we can never do that if, if we're fearful of their questions. That's excellent. Throwing up that wall can be so detrimental to having those deeper conversations. And that's our first, um, that's our first response of defense when we feel uncomfortable, right? I, I, at least on my part, it would be to throw up that wall. So really to let down that wall, you have to become vulnerable, right? I think for me, I think a person has to become vulnerable because it might step on something I've been taught all my life. Now we're gonna get super, that could get super touchy there because some things we've been taught, we've been taught like they're scripture, but they may not necessarily be scripture. That doesn't mean they're bad. People who taught them had good intentions and they were right. And those foundations are still solid. And Tiana will never stray away from that biblical foundation and that solid foundation. But there were things that were taught um, that were based on cultural eras too. I can look back now and remember even Papa before he died telling me, Anna, young ministers coming up are going to deal with things in ministry that I was never confronted with as a young minister. Because his cultural era as a young minister of the 60s and 70s, they had their challenges and their ideologies. They had to deal with in those in young ministry in the 80s. But Things in this era are not the same as the ideologies and the challenges that they had in that area era, right? So they were trying to navigate the scripture to the best of their ability to deal with those cultural issues in their eras. And now young ministers are trying to navigate the scriptures 
and young ladies of God that are reaching campuses and being used by God, Sunday school teachers, school teachers, pastor's wife are trying to navigate the waters of this era and make sure they're doing it with a strong biblical foundation as well. Sarah, your thoughts. I'm gonna tell you what my thoughts are. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. I think if we're not based in that number one, we will be swayed. Yes. And I think if we're not based in checking everything by the word of God, now I feel a grandma elder spirit coming on me right now. Awesome. Because if we do not check ourselves with the word of God, no matter what comes across from our friends, from our family, from our peers, from those older than us, from preachers, from conferences, from congregations that we go to for this conference and that camp meeting or whatever. If we hear something and our Holy Ghost checks us, we better go to the word of God and we better say God. And I'm not saying judging. I'm not saying because. There are groups that are going to preach different standards, and there are groups that are going to preach different ways and different things. I'm saying that if it's doctrinal, and if they're preaching anything doctrinally that checks our spirit, even in college classes, in college courses online, in whatever, if we go by this scripture, beware. That's the first word. That that is a strong word. When you look that up in English, now here comes the English teaching out of me. <laughs> Beware. That means watch out. You better watch out and use the word of God. And if it's not checking with the word of God, then you better pray. And this is where I go with agreeing with Kyle and Mitchell. You better pray. God, don't let me be swayed. Put it in me so deep. I'm not going to be swayed by whatever anybody's opinion is. I'm going to stand on the word of God. And there again, Anna, I agree with you. I don't think that we need to put down those from past eras and generations because they were taught. Mama was telling me the other night, and I'm going to say something here if we have to, if we have to edit it out, we can. But she was telling me how when she was a teenage girl, they were taught that they had to wear nylons with the seam up the back or they were considered loose women. Well, thank God we don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> you can't find them anywhere. <laughs> now the design That's nylons, funny. you hear all kinds of teaching about like that. It's, it's, like, it's a different era, different cultures. And I think that that's, that's one of the things that, I mean, not to interject and, you know, take over, but a lot of times what we see, and I'll bring, you can edit this out later, but I was thinking about this. If you think about the things that were taught yesterday, and how we were raised, I mean, 60 years ago, me and my wife weren't even legal to be married because we were of separate races. And so that ideology, people would have said, oh, people with integrity and character came up with these things and they were looking out for people. And I think that's where what you were saying is, you know, I think it's important not only within the church biblically that we do that, but also we filter secular ideas through the word of God, Absolutely. because there's a a shift in your mindset. And I think one of the biggest parts of my growth in, in God and as a person was when I began to evolve into a person who took on challenges. And, and to add to what Mitchell said, whenever somebody came to you, instead of always trying to have an answer, 
saying, I'm going to research this for myself. I'm going to find out for myself. I'm going to make sure that I decide this for myself. And then if it takes me, hey, let me look into that. Let me think about it. Let me pray about it. Let me read about it. And then I'll get back to you with my answer. Because sometimes, I mean, if I'm shooting off at the mouth, I'll give you an answer, but it's not the right answer. And then I got to come back and apologize. But I think that's something to where a lot of times, and I see this too when dealing with, um, and I don't want to just call out the older generation. It's some of the younger generation that have been really indoctrinated by older generations. There's this uh, conflict you run into when you introduce ideas that clash with the way they think things should be. And it's a it's a clashing of the minds. And, and I know what it is. It's basically when your mind comes in contact with something that it doesn't recognize as true, it creates duality in your mind. And it creates that cognitive dissonance with reality. So you choose either to fight or to, you know, away from it. You either shut down and run away from the conversation or you lash out in the conversation. And one of the keys, um, and I was, I was listening to this person talk about this idea and this concept for growth. And they really begin to break down. What you need to do is stop and calm yourself down and be rational about what's being said. And like you guys said, don't recognize it as a personal attack or anything that's affronting your faith. Even if it might be in the moment, take a moment to stop, think about it, breathe, listen to what they're saying, and then take it and compare it to the word of God. Read the facts, read the statistics, whatever it takes, and come back a more well-rounded person to provide value to the conversation. And like Mitchell said, if you care about that person's soul, a lot of times you'll listen and you'll feel what they're feeling and understand what they're understanding to come back with that answer that fits the situation. And I think that's something that, you know, the anointing will help with. Mm-hmm. The word is quick and it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword to the dividing asunder, both souls. And you go through all of that in that scripture. And what it's talking about is if you look at the word, it's going to be able to separate all of those things you're looking at when you're praying and reading the word of God. And it's going to break them down for you in a way that you aren't fighting your mind. And it might even cause you to shift your perception and say, the way I've thought of this, again, to use that reference, my wife and I being a mixed race couple, people preached against that for years. And now you see where, you know, as, as a couple, we've dealt with the backlash. And it's one of those things where educating people and really being calm and conscientious when affronted with those things to recognize this person is being confronted with something that confronts their ideologies that they've been raised with. And if I can help them grow, we're all going to leave better. I can reach them in a new way. Sarah, I, I think going along with that, Kyle, because Aunt Sarah is in a mixed race marriage also. Um, and I think going along with that, that's where we need to go to Colossians because if we will find our identity in Jesus Christ, that stuff will roll off of us like water. Those, those ideologies, those theologies, it's, it's not important because our foundation is who we are is in Jesus Christ. And ye are complete in him. That goes back to integrity. You are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and all power. So no matter what people think, as long as I know who I am in Jesus Christ, I'm complete. My whole thought process will be complete. My attitude will be complete. I don't have to worry about what others think because I know who I am in Jesus Christ and I can keep my integrity through that. I think um, to insert real quick there, um, when you have time, go to YouTube, if you believe in YouTube, and watch Brother Nathaniel Urshan's conversation on um, what's his new 
podcasting he's doing is Biblios. Biblios. Biblios Biblios. by Logos. Yeah, Biblios by Logos. Go onto their channel and go through their videos. And there's a video in there where he talks about racism in the church. And he has a really good conversation on that subject. I know that's not our total subject tonight, but since we're there, I just want to take a minute and and put in a commercial for that (laughs) because (laughs) he talks about how Moses married an Ethiopian woman. (laughs) And a lot of times we don't like to have that conversation, but when the Book of Acts church was formed, they all heard each other speak in all of their tongues, and they were not all Jewish. There were a bunch of Gentiles there. When you look at the race the race issues of that day, it was between Jews and Gentiles. It, I don't know that it was so much skin color back then, but it was Jews and Gentiles. So he really speaks well to that, and that's a good conversation to have, Kyle, and I'm glad you feel comfortable to share that, and if you feel comfortable, we won't edit that out. Because I think that's an important part of this conversation. I think today that is something in the church that we have to say that's part of our integrity. It's part of our growing process. It's part of us expanding and really learning how to walk through these conversations. Not, we don't have all the answers to them, but we're learning them. But the first place is being willing to have a conversation about it and let people bring to the table what they've learned through their experiences and through their study of the word of God. It's very vital. So moving on in this conversation, Reese, I'm going to, I'm going to pinpoint this towards you because you're a mom of three. And so you might have some input on this, but do you think that integrity can be developed beyond the formative years? So we say that the formative years of a child are typically what? Like one to five really is where we're really we're putting, you know, values and character traits and, and things like that in them. Do you believe that integrity can really be formed well beyond the formative years? Yes, we do believe that, um, that they, that you can, that they keep as teenagers, they're still looking at their, their parents, their, um, teachers, their pastors, and, um, are they are they doing the same thing that at home and at church that they you know if you know what I'm trying to say there I'm sorry my my brain goes blank when I'm in front of everybody but okay. I do believe yes they can be um, still formed at in I agree with that I um one of these I'm pulling these off of some of these articles I've been reading and some people say in theory yes but it's very difficult but the Bible says train up a child in the way they should go. And the Bible doesn't talk like that training stopped at five years. You can correct me if I'm wrong. So no. the child is under the influence of parents and leaders through kind of in our society, we think of it around 18, right? Where you kind of start to go out on your own in society. I mean, when you hit teenage years, you start developing your own thoughts and your ideas, but a child is typically guided by their parents and the leadership in their life and people of influence in their life through one to 18 years. So I think you're on the right track with that, Marisa. Tori, as a mom, what are your thoughts on that? On, on so training them beyond the formative years? Yeah, can integrity be developed beyond their formative years? Well, absolutely. I think, you know, as children, they're like sponges. You know, everything you say, <laughs> you will hear later. <laughs> um, but I mean... Aubrey's at five right now. She'll, she'll be six, but right now, like she is starting to really like, what, like 
She's wanting, she's desiring to know more things. And I know that, um, I believe it's 21, I think is what psychology says is the age that a person reaches one of the, basically their limit of um, where they quit absorbing is what I've um, learned in college. Um, but I just think, you know, me and Steen teach Bible studies all the time. And we teach them to young adults and um, they, I mean, they are ever growing, you know, they're always just wanting to know new things. So I think the formative years, I mean, I'm 28 and I'm still growing. So I think, yeah, absolutely. You, you grow beyond your formative years. You, you're learning new things every day. You're absorbing new things, but um, what would you say, Dean? Um, I would say, I mean, you can go back to even some of the, the Jewish traditions where men didn't even start ministry until they were 30 years of age. And that's that's the tradition that, that our ultimate um, example took on as well. He didn't start his ministry jesus didn't start his ministry till he was 30 years of, of, of age and a lot of the people that he most likely taught were um at least independent thinkers and able to do what they wanted to do they followed him everywhere they went so they were evidently at least adults but i, I absolutely i think that a lot of, of the, the things you take forth um in your life uh, start at a very at a very young age um but that um and a lot of clinical psychologists will agree that um that as a person grows and develops um and gets older on in, in their years um maybe from about 12 to about say around 30 they're very liberal in their ideals, but as they grow older, they become more uh, middle of the road or more moderate uh, in their mentalities. And, and that's not always the case because you have 70, 80 year old uh, I don't know, hipsters or hippies or whatever you want to call them mm -hmm. still that are very, very liberal. But for the most part as general society, that's what you begin to, to see. Um, but I think that um, as far as integrity and, and things um, that you, you can learn respect, like when I was 18, uh, um, my twin brother went into the military and I knew I didn't want to go in the military because I didn't have any respect for any um, uh, authority figure. You know, if somebody got in my face and started yelling and screaming and, and spitting at me, I probably would have just hauled off and and punched him and I, I probably would have regretted my decisions afterwards <laughs> but I don't regret not going into the military because I, I know that I wasn't um, in the place where I'm at today and um, as far as someone in the church is concerned I mean you can be 80 years old and and start to learn integrity because you've been born 
again. And that gives you that formative years back again, I believe. I love that. And, you can, and mm-hmm. the, the first few years, few years that you're in the church, as long as you're, um, as long as you're open to the Holy Ghost, you can be in a very, um, a church that's very backslidden and, and be more in tune with, with what's going on in the spiritual world than maybe even the leadership that you're at. And um, I mean, not that that happens to everybody or that that's a good thing, but I think that a, a person that, um, that really allows the Holy Ghost to minister to them can, can still have integrity and respect and, and still love those that are in those ministerial positions, but be able to, to grow closer to God and, and keep their integrity and say, you know what, this church I'm going to may not believe this and this and this, but I believe that. And I'm going to keep my integrity with God. And I'm going to do the things that, that are, um, that I know that the Holy ghost are, is requiring of me. Yes. Yes. I think that's excellent. I think that's good input. And um, you said something there that's super cool to me. You talked about when you're born again, you regain those formative years. And I think that's very important. I think that's an important point in this conversation that when we look at these things from a secular perspective, they're not taking into account the miracle of rebirth. And um, I could really go off on a rabbit trail this year because yeah this year right here yeah I could go off one on this year too <laughs> 2020 has been a rabbit trail <laughs> it's been Alice in Wonderland <laughs> right but um Pastor Young was preaching last night he was preaching last night about how people want power and I think that's a conversation for another day but he talked about how this began with the Harry Potter era and and how why Wicca is the fastest growing religion in America right now and how that started with the the building of Harry Potterdom at the same time that the internet started taking off and created this culture of fandom. Well, now those Harry Potter fans are adults and they're having children and they're teaching this supernatural approach to life to their children but they don't know where the real supernatural is. And so this is a prime opportunity for the church. And that's the rabbit trail there for a minute. But you need to go listen to that sermon from last night because it's very cool when you talk about the rebirth of the Holy Ghost. That's true supernatural. That's where a divine miracle takes place where now we can form our thought and, and character traits can be developed and principles can be developed. And it's that we may have never been taught. And uh, Melody, I'm going to lead in with this conversation to you and, and Tony here, because I think we're going now to even at your group, your age groups now. So a lot of young people and people that are coming to the church are first generation Pentecostals and apostolics, right? So some of these things are not taught to them. So let's start first with the question. I'm going to do a two part question here that I want you both to start thinking about and Auntie Anna's going to be coming at you. And Sarah, you can kick in and anybody else can kick in here too, but I want to hear some from Melody and Antonia on this. One, do you think integrity is declining amongst your peers? Okay, I'm targeting that at Melody and Antonia. And two, can we change that through 
training that they may not be getting. Well, we kind of said you can train in past or formative years. So that might be a repetitive question there when you think about that. But one is integrity declining amongst your peer group. And two, maybe how do we approach that and change that? Because when you're looking at a lot of the first generational, um, first generation apostolics and Pentecostals that are coming into the church or new converts, some of them are coming from homes that these things are not taught at all. Like you say integrity to them, they don't even know what the word integrity means because they're definitely not teaching it in public school. So Melody, let's start with you. Part one, do you think integrity is declining amongst your peer group? Um, yes. <clears throat> Sorry. I, I do. Um, in the place where I work, it's a very, very public place. It's a bakery downtown Pueblo, Colorado. And um, it, it just, it was a culture shock. I remember the first few months that I worked there because integrity to them is their own definition of whatever truth is to them. And truth to them is relative. You know, they're, they're forming it and, and they have perverted it and twisted it to appease them, their flesh and their self and their godless lifestyle. So I, I think that um, it's declining. I don't, and I, I say that because sin, the, a godless lifestyle, um, sin is degenerating humanity, you know, um, as time progresses, as Jesus is, is about to come closer and closer, the day is approaching quickly. Um, I think that in the church, um, among my peers in the church, not like, you know, not where I work and my friends, uh, out in the world, but in the church, it is not because Jesus is not. Um, and they're, they're continually using faith as the portal, Mitch, to access the source of integrity, Jesus. And they're accessing that and they're coming back from that and they're growing and they're becoming who God is, you know, creating them to be the church. And I think that um, the next question was how, how can the next, the older generation change that? Is that what the question was? Or how, how can we change the that? decline? Can, yeah. Was that the question? How can we, how can we stop? Um, by teaching Jesus and <laughs> um, by example, by having integrity, um, that's the best way to teach integrity to me is by example. And we're watching Sometimes it, it may seem that we're not paying attention and that we don't see that, but we're watching the generations before us. And like Tori said, we're pinpointing 
the people that we want to be like and the people that we don't want to be like. And we're mirroring our lifestyle after them. And we're seeing, oh, they're doing this every day. They're not doing this every day. Um, and those, those of us who, who want to have integrity, um, you know, we're connecting to the source and it's, it's carrying on. I think, uh, um, one way is what we're doing right now is using social media, you know, all of your platforms to give more access to whoever, whoever, whoever to get, get an access to the source, Jesus, of true integrity, yeah. and, you know, being complete and uh, using that to influence not being ashamed or afraid to use all of your platforms, all, you know, to whoever to uh, influence us. I love that melody. And I think that's important. And I love that because you are in a group that your world is social media. It's just the reality of it. It's so beyond like what my mind, I mean, I think of social media as Instagram, right? <laughs> to me, that's social media. What do you think of when you think of social media? Now, you might be different because I know you're not on social media a lot. But let's talk about what a typical 19-year-old thinks of or 20-year-old thinks of when they think of social media. They're probably thinking like TikTok, Snap, Facebook, Instagram. I mean, there's so many apps out there that I don't even know about that they're, that young people are interacting in. They're in online game rooms, online game chat. I mean, their whole world is literally the internet. And that's where their voices are all at. So Antonia, from your perspective, now you're the youngest one of us all. So Antonia is 16, right, this year? Does it look like integrity is declining in our leadership on a secular level? Do we see a decline in integrity? Do you think we see a decline in integrity in our leadership on a secular level? Let's start there for a minute. Tell me your thoughts on that. Well, since I don't work a job, I'm gonna take this from a school perspective. Now, I do go to a Christian school, so I'm going to take this from the secular classes that I have been to. One of the most recent ones has been driver's ed. And um, don't tell Mr. Pagenkoff I said this, but if we didn't pass a test in driver's ed, he would say, he would hand the papers back and say, here, fix this, figure it out, you know. If you went to a classroom, I have never had a teacher do that unless it was like really, really bad. Like I got a two out of a hundred. Well, this was, you missed, I don't know, seven out of 50. And he would give you an opportunity, even if you had passed the test to go back and change the answers, which I was like, what is up with this? So just from that example, and even some of the other classes I've taken, it seems like in some ways you have those good instructors you know but you also have those other ones that are like do whatever you want oh you misspelled 50 words in this essay but it's okay you answered the question so I would say on that level yeah I do see a little bit of of uh, decline in secular integrity and leadership so this is the scary part do you see that decline in integrity and leadership in the church? <laughs> That's a very vulnerable question in a conversation like this. 
from a child from a young person's perspective you can answer you can choose to yes or no answer that you don't have to go into detail if you don't want to but what are your thoughts and when we talk about the church let's not talk about the church in the sense that this always has to be let's talk about religion in general okay let's talk about religion in general and that broadens the conversation do we see a decline in integrity in religion in general I mean, it might not be a leader of a church. It might be people who claim to be Christians. It might be people who claim to have this relationship with Jesus, but um, maybe they don't walk in integrity like we're talking about integrity right now and wholeness of Christ. And this is not to go into a judgmental mode, but what do you see from your perspective, Melanie, on that? Well, when you first said the church, my first reaction was no, because in my life, I've had a lot of great leadership. When you broaden it to other denominations, I would say, yes, I do see a bit of decline because I'm not going to name any names, but you have these so-called leaders that become, um, they, let's put it this way. They find out that there's a lot of money in leadership. Well, when you reach that position, when the money you get from your people is more important than your people, you start patting backs and scratching ears. You don't preach the word. Or you don't, you don't, you're afraid of conflict because you might lose some people who are paying you nice money to be their leader. So in that area, I would say, yeah, sad to say a lot of, a lot of leadership in this day won't confront things that are conflicting the word of God because they might lose their position or they might have someone that doesn't like them. There might be an influence thing there. And I think that that can be across the board in leadership. I don't even think that that's necessarily just religious leadership. I think sometimes in leadership, all of us can be afraid of conflict because it may affect our connections to other people. I think I can Mm -hmm. say that and be transparent as a leader and say, I've had to think about that. Am I willing to conflict, to confront this situation and have this hard conversation because this person might mean a promotion at my job or it might mean (laughs) I get fired. (laughs) You know, I think that's a real piece of the conversation on integrity in leadership. And so this is where religion has kind of gotten lost in America and kind of has fallen off the ballot. We're going to start wrapping this up for tonight. I know we're about around an hour. I'm going to ask everybody a question here in a minute to see if we can go to a part two on this later because we haven't even touched honesty yet. (laughs) And so, but um, when Pastor Young was talking last night, he brought something to my mind that made me think in preparing for this conversation tonight. We have a world where it went to latchkey kids, right? And parents only went to church on Easter, Christmas. They did their best to be parents to their children. But then people in that environment began to see where um, careers took the place of relationship and uh, money took the place of family trips and you know, all these kinds of things that where we're trying to give better and do better and do more for our families. But the things that are that really matter got lost in the mix. And I think one of those things was integrity because sometimes when we're scrambling so hard to climb that social ladder, integrity gets lost in the mix. For your age group, Antonia, I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot. So I feel like giving Antonia a hand because she got the hard question tonight with integrity and religious leadership and leadership is <laughs> declining. And especially for a 16-year-old, I think she was very circumspectly navigated those waters. Um, but um, 
for your, your peer group, Antonia, what are some ways that we can do better as leaders with integrity? You know, one thing that is very big among my age group, don't treat us like we're stupid. Don't talk to us like we don't know anything just because we're teenagers. Don't act like we don't know anything. I know we act like we know everything, but we don't, and we know we don't. And it doesn't help when leaders disrespect us. We're not gonna respect you if you're disrespecting us, or we're not gonna respect you if you're not respecting us. So that's one area that we just don't respond well if you don't treat us like human beings. I know that sounds harsh, but I've seen teenagers just clam up when they're not talked to with respect. And I would say- I'd like to- Go ahead. Sorry, I, I don't mean to interrupt if you're, if you're not done uh, with that thought. I think another thing to, um, to, to add to that, so true, so true, um, is listening and simply time spent can go a long, long ways. And mentorship is so, so important. Um, and it can go such a long ways. Um, and that goes back to uh, us obviously reciprocating that and, and, you know, but that was really good what you said. I think also another thing is as teenagers, we need a purpose. And I think we need to be involved because the only way we're gonna learn is by experience. And it just helps when adults will take us under their wing and say, hey, this is how you do this. This is how you pray, you know, that sort of thing. And I think that's pretty much all I have to say. I had something and then it flew out the window. That's okay. I think what you said, both you and Melody have said there is so good, both of you. And Antonia, I get what you're saying because I know when somebody takes you, we're talking about integrity specifically, but part of gaining your integrity is someone teaching you how to pray. And I think what you said there is so valuable, both you and Melody listening and time spent because a lot of the young people that are navigating these waters now and that don't know a lot about integrity and are coming from homes where things like this are not taught, need somebody to step in and fill the gap for them. And I think that's where we have an opportunity to step in and fill the gap. And so I think what you brought to the table right there is super important because I think there's a whole generation of young people your age literally begging for what you two addressed in the most simple of terms, they're begging for that. And that's how we start helping integrity. That's how we keep integrity alive till Jesus comes. Sarah. I want to include here is for their generation, especially Antonia and Melody, and even the rest of you all, is we have to learn to love unconditionally yeah. and show that love unconditionally because the teenagers that are growing up in this world are growing up without a parent, with 
two of the same gender parents with such awkward home lives and awkward home situations and some without parents and some that have been in and out of foster care and in and out of abusive situations. And when they come to the church, they're coming because God has brought them there because they're at the end of their rope. And I think when they come into the church, we have to learn to love them. Even if they act goofy, even if they look goofy, even if they smell goofy, even if, they, because trust me, we're dealing with that right now, <laughs> mm-hmm. but they want love and they want real love. And what better way for us to show integrity mm-hmm. by loving unconditionally and letting them feel such deep love of Jesus. And I'm going to tell a little story here, if I may, Anna, I had a girl come to Sunday school. Joe and I were teaching the teenage slash college and careers class. And this girl came into our classroom. I didn't know hardly anything about her. All I knew was that the teacher in the class before that she came from, she told me, she said, this girl's a mess. That's all I knew. I didn't know her home life situation. I didn't know anything about her. She came into our classroom and I began to love this girl just by doing what Melody said, listening to her, doing what Antonia said, letting her talk. And let me tell you, when she talked, it was shocking to me as an older person, as her teacher, some of the things that were coming out of her mouth, and I'm not talking cursing, things she was telling me that she was living every day in her home situation, at school, her friendships, her peers, things she was involved in was shocking, but I was listening to her. I would sit at the table in Sunday school before Sunday school would ever start and at the end of Sunday school. And I would let her just talk to me and I would listen to her and I would not put her down. I would not mock her. I didn't call her names and make her feel like she was stupid or belittled. I just listened to her. And this young lady, before we left to come to Pratt, she came to me one Sunday morning. She brought a friend with her. She brought her friend like, a month before we left and her and her friend began to hold hands in class in our teenage class not as best buddies as female and female experimenting and I just very quietly took them outside of the classroom I said okay girls I'm not getting on to you but I'm just letting you know we're not going to do that in our classroom and I began to explain the word of God I just showed them the bible how that we don't experiment with that kind of stuff. We don't do anything. Both of those girls' eyes welled up with tears. Both of them. They said, we want to know more about this. We've never heard this. And I said, okay, I'll tell you what. We'll talk about it another time. we got to get back to class. But I'm going to talk to you about another time. And I did. I took time to go and visit with them and talk to them about that. But before we left, like two Sundays before we left to come to Pratt, Both of those girls came to Sunday school. And at the end of Sunday school, they both came to me privately after all the other students had left. We had a full class and all the students had left and the bus was waiting on them. And both of those girls came to me weeping and said, Sister Sarah, would you pray for us? 
we don't know who's going to love us when you're gone. And they started to ask me to pray for them. And I'm telling you, I feel the Holy Ghost. I wrapped my arms around both of those girls and I began to say, God, you cover them. I don't know what your plan is for their life, but you know what their plan is, what your plan is for their life. You cover them, you lead them. I don't know where they're at to this day, but both of those girls felt the love of Jesus through me and through me keeping integrity and treating them like decent human beings when the rest of the world, their parents didn't, their peers at school didn't because they were both wild. They were both out there. I'm telling you out there, they both, it was just a scary situation. But both of those girls respected me because I kept my integrity with God and I let them feel unconditional love. And I think that's what our world needs right now is unconditional love. I agree with that. And to start wrapping up for tonight, just because we, I know we could go like three hours with this conversation. This is so good. I could stay here all night on it. But I, first of all, I want to take a moment and say, well, y'all come back. I think we need a part two and a part three on this because we just started digging in. Um, yeah. Would you please be our guest back? Because I think we're digging into something important here. And I think your voices really matter. I've learned already so much tonight, but Sarah, yes. when you say that, it goes back to Kyle saying integrity to, to circle back around. Kyle saying integrity basically fosters trust, mm -hmm. to put it in simpler terms. To Mitchell saying integrity is becoming the whole person. To Tori saying integrity is gaining influence. We're watching people who are influencing us. We're building those mores and norms that help us to influence others. So integrity is really being trustworthy and being someone that people can trust that regardless of their dysfunctionalities, that's the term I'm gonna use because that's the term the world recognizes today, their dysfunctions or their sin sickness, somebody still loves them and I we know. don't treat them funky. And we don't operate funky. Like we don't treat them like they're stupid. Antonia brought that up. And Melody, we don't treat them like they're so stupid they can't see us not having integrity. I think that's a problem in the world today that sometimes adults or people who've gone on before us that are that have created all these off-the-wall ways of living and issues that trickling down to the younger generations act like the younger generations are so dumb they didn't catch on that integrity got disrupted somewhere, you know? And so the younger generations are mad about that. They're frustrated about that. They're discouraged about it and they're disillusioned about it. And when you get all those things, it's a recipe for disaster. And we're seeing the outcome of that in our world today in all the chaos that's in our world. And so I think it touched the tip of the iceberg we said is integrity does it evolve from generation to generation? Does it evolve from generation to generation? Integrity and honesty. We haven't even touched honesty yet for tonight. Or should it evolve from generation to generation? Why or why not? I think we've talked a lot about, really, it doesn't. I think we've answered that pretty significantly tonight. It starts in the Bible. We've given scriptures for it. It's in the word of God. And that biblical worldview should be our pattern, right? For integrity all throughout life. That's the foundation of integrity. So if we're living by that biblical worldview, integrity itself will never evolve. Now, some approaches to, and I want to say this very carefully because I don't want to be confusing in it, but we talked about how some things were taught in a different way in the 60s and 70s that are 
now taught in a different way in the 2000s. Kyle, we talked about interracial marriage here for a little while. So when we talk about that, we're talking about making sure we have our biblical worldview on point and following those men of God as they follow Christ, right? And making yes, sure yes. that we're navigating those waters. And that's a challenge right now that we're all walking through. And, and this is a time where we're, getting, we're digging into that in our culture and we're trying to find the right ways to approach those conversations without putting all the inclusivity in as the world means inclusiveness, right? We gotta be inclusive according to the book of Acts. That's where true inclusiveness comes from, is the book of Acts. True equity, true inclusiveness, true equality started in the book of Acts. So when we talk about those things, we have to talk about them from a book of Acts perspective. But that's not where we are for tonight, but we, we touched on that just a little bit and in the conversation of integrity. So this is where I wanna stop for tonight I want to put this on your plate and I want you to take this home and think about it. It's possible. Well, here's a statement. It's not a question. It's possible to be an honest person with very little integrity, but it's not possible to be a dishonest person of integrity. It's possible to be an honest person with very little integrity, but it's not possible to be a dishonest person of integrity. So I'm gonna shut the door there for tonight. I'm not gonna say whether that's a true or false statement. I'd like to start the conversation, Sarah, if you're okay with it, that in part two on honesty and building from integrity now going into honesty. So, I'm so glad you all joined us tonight. Man, I learned so much. You brought so much to this conversation. I feel like this was an important conversation. I know uh, with a group this big, we have to take time to get everybody's input, but we want to, I think we did a good job, hopefully, of the conversation evolving naturally. That was the goal here. And so um, I learned a lot. Auntie Sarah, what do you have to say? I learned a ton tonight, and I'm so thankful you all joined us. Thank you, all of our wonderful nieces and nephews for coming along and riding this crazy ride with us as Anna and I navigate the podcast waters. <laughs> I do want to ask that you would share it with your friends because we're trying to grow it. Um, and we want people to know that we don't think we have all the answers. We know we don't have all the answers, but we want people to understand that we've been asked to just share some of the things that we've grown up being taught and that God has also placed deep inside of our hearts. And so we wanna say thank you to all of our followers and also grab your teenagers this week because you're not gonna to wanna to miss it. It's gonna be fantastic. There's lots and lots of good gold that's gonna be shared this week. And again, I love you all. Thank you all for coming and joining us tonight. Yes, I love you too. And here's your homework, get together amongst you all. You might have to discuss this amongst yourselves and bring two questions for Auntie Sarah and I next week. This week, we asked you questions. You guys bring two questions to the table, and you don't get to tell us in advance. We get put on the spot like we put you on the spot. Oh, Lord. Jesus, help. So you guys get amongst yourself and bring two questions to the party next week. It has to be about these types, of, about the subject at hand. But, um, Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> the tables get turned. <laughs> That's what makes it interesting, right? Yes. <laughs> oh, 
All righty. Well, we love you guys. Thank you so much. Be blessed. Thank you, everyone, for love listening. Share this. Love you all. We'll see the baby. God bless. <laughs> we'll just see the baby. Yay.